0: It matters so much that we imitate Christ and we live out those principles. There's nothing that you could do. There's there's no great sin that you could have ever committed that would be a barrier between you and Jesus. To learn more about Elevate, how you can get connected, or how you can support the work that Elevate is doing in Erie, visit elevateerie.tv. And today I'm really excited because There are some of you in this room today that God's going to speak to your heart. Maybe it's about something that that he's been working on in your life for a long time. Maybe it's something that's been laying dormant in your life. And today, I I believe that he's going to bring it to the surface. Some of you today, like you're going to get to that point in this message that you're just going to get wrecked that you know exactly what it is that God has called you to do, you know exactly how he wants you to engage your world and, and your circle of influence that you have in your life, and you're gonna step out those doors and you're gonna do it. Others of you, you're gonna be tempted just to kinda sit back and say, man, I, I wish I'd have heard that 10 years ago. I wish I'd have heard that 20 years ago, but now, you know, I'm headed in this path. I, wanna, I want you to push back against that today. Like, fight fight the urge to say, this is, this is who I am, this is my lot in life, this is where I'm going. Fight that urge today and say, God, today, I'm just gonna come to you open-handed. Wherever you're going to lead me, I'm gonna follow. It's, it's no, um, it's because this, this last message in this series really is about engaging your world. Like, I love, I love more than anything for you to come into this room and have that God encounter where he speaks to your life and, and you, you know Jesus and you, you know who God is and, and his plans that he has for your life. And then for you to, to experience freedom, like to walk that journey, to start being more and more like Christ, those old sin patterns that have been holding you back and dragging you down, you start to find freedom and break free of that, I love that. And I love it when you embrace the purpose that God's called you to. You discover why you were created. But the goal of this church is and will always be for you to now go and engage your world and make the impact that God wants you to make. And I'm praying that you receive that today. I'm praying that God speaks to your heart. Would you bow your head and pray with me and not worry about you know what's going on after church, not worry about what's going on right now, but maybe you would just come before God and say, God, today, you know, I'm gonna lay my plans aside and I'm gonna have you speak directly to my heart. God, open up my ears, open up my my heart. Let me receive what it is that you have for me today. Help me, God, to fight through any sense of opposition, any sense of uh, history in my life, my past, whatever it is, God, that's been holding me back today. I just I'm going to choose to follow you. Take me deeper than my feet have ever wandered. Help me to follow you and have the faith, God, to do so. Jesus, I pray that you would do that for us in this room today, we ask in your name. And everyone said, an amen, amen, amen. You guys can have a seat today. Thank you, Ben. All right, we're finishing this thing up. We're wrapping up our open house series. We've been talking about really the, the four pillars, uh, the four kind of things that are essential to this, this church. And we're talking about the last one, which is engaging your world. And uh, I'm pumped because I think we are positioned as a church to reach more people than we ever have in the city. And I think as we move into the fall, and I know you guys saw that little trailer about our at the movies thing that's coming, that's just gonna be an awesome opportunity to get the word out. And I'm gonna talk to you a little bit more about that uh, before you leave today. If you have your Bible, open it up to Nehemiah. Um, Nehemiah's in the Old Testament. If you're looking through your, your Bible, Chronicles, you know, 1st, 2nd Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, it's in there before Job and Psalms and all that kind of stuff. So that might give you a little help where to find it. If not, we're going to have it up here on the screen as well. But today we're really talking about how you engage your world in order to change your world, what that looks like for you. Um, there have been some people that really have, uh, I want to introduce you to today, that have changed the world that we live in. Uh, The first one is this lady right here, Ruth. Uh, She's changed my life. She has had a tremendous impact on my life and I would submit that she's had an impact on your life too. And you're like, I don't even know who that old lady is. What are you talking about? Changed my life. Here's how she's changed your life because she's invented these right here. The chocolate chip (laughs) cookie. Has Ruth changed anybody's life in this room? Amen. She's changed your life, she's changed your waistline, she's changed a ton. Some of you are like, she hasn't changed my life, I'm gluten free, sucks to be you. The rest of us, right? She has changed our life. Do you know that Americans consume 1.9 million chocolate chip cookies per day? That's crazy, like we're gonna, we're gonna kill ourselves thanks to Ruth. The next person uh, is this right here, Henry Ford. He had a vision. Uh, that that everyone should have a car, should have uh, an automobile and should be able to drive around. And and because he had that vision that everyone should have a car, now we have these right here. This is a Ford GT. That car would change my life. (laughs) If you want that car, that's going to set you back $450,000. That's a lot of money right there. Like if I'm paying $450,000 for something, I better have like six bedrooms, six baths. I mean, that's that's crazy, right? But I wanna talk about somebody who has changed our life, and maybe you don't know, and his name is Nehemiah. Nehemiah uh, was a world changer. And the reason why we're wrapping this up, uh, again, many of you, you're gonna hear this, and some of you are gonna think, man, I, yeah, this would've been great a, a little while ago to hear, or, or I wish so-and-so was here. This is good for the younger generation. Um, but I, I do believe that somebody today, you're just going to catch something that God's been doing in your life, uh, that you've been pregnant with, with purpose and the promises of God. And today, uh, I'm praying that he's going to give birth to something in your life. And you're going to discover that you were created, you know, on purpose, with a purpose to engage your world as well. And I don't know exactly what's going to happen in you, but I do know that what's going to happen through you is going to change the world. So I want to look at this uh, in Nehemiah chapter 1. And before we dive in, the worst lie that anyone in this room can believe is that you're average or ordinary. Because God didn't make anything average or ordinary. And we're going to use this story to kind of discover that. All right, Nehemiah chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Here we go. These are the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In late Autumn, the month of Kislev. The month of Kislev is in between November and December. So this would be like you know you're getting ready for Christmas. You're getting ready, you know, you're doing your Christmas shopping and all that kind of stuff. In the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. Uh, that would be like modern-day Iran, where this is located. Um, 450 years before Christ is when all this was happening, taking place. Uh, they were in Iran because the Israelites had been exiled to Babylon, and now some of them, this remnant of them had started to come back to Jerusalem, and they started to rebuild the temple. You know, it was shoddy at best, but they were doing their best to kind of rebuild things, and uh, Nehemiah finds himself uh, still with King Artaxerxes, and this is what it says in verse two. Hanani, and I, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from, from Judah, uh, referring to Jerusalem, all right, the city. This would have been about a thousand mile journey. It's about a thousand miles away, He says, I asked them about the Jews that had returned there from being exiled, those that had returned from captivity, and about how things were going, all right? What's what's it like in Jerusalem now? So the second question, uh, the second verse in, Nehemiah says, hey, how's Jerusalem? What's happening? They said to me, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. Now, this wasn't new news all right this this had happened over 140 you know plus years ago so this wasn't a new revelation this was a situation as it had been for years and years and years but when nehemiah hears it about it again maybe with a fresh set of ears or maybe god does something to his life this time and i'm praying that maybe this time as god speaks to your heart he does something in you he begins to that birthing process once again in you It says in verse 4, when I heard this, I sat down and I wept. For in fact, uh, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. I want to give you five words, five words that I want you to write down today that will um, help to uh, guide you in this process of what it looks like to engage your world. And the first word is compulsion. It says he, he wept, he prayed, and he fasted that he was so moved at this moment. Have you ever been so moved? Has, has, has something ever compelled you to the point of action in your life? Like you're just drawn to it. Compulsion means like this force that, that you can't do anything about, that you're gonna have to follow it, you know, just no matter what. For me, like I get compelled sometimes when I'm driving up Upper Peach Street and that flashing red light that says hot now. You know what light I'm talking about? Krispy Kreme light? Like, I'm compelled, right? I feel this gravitational pull to turn in. He was feeling this this compulsion in his life. And here we are talking about him 2,500 years later because he was so compelled that he decided he was going to step into what God had for him, and he was going to take action. And here's the question that you need to answer. People who engage the world ask the question, what compels me to take action? Like, what is it, and I'm not talking about those little things that might bother you. I'm, not, I'm talking about what is it that you have such a deep heart, such a hurt for, that it compels you to actually get up and take action? What absolutely breaks your heart? Because when you find that out, when you discover that, you're going to find out why God put you on this earth and how you're going to engage your world. Now, here's the pushback for many people. We have a just a problem. You know what a just a problem is? We say things like, well, I'm just a you know, businessman. You know, I can't take action. i am just am just a. I'm just a stay-at-home mom. I'm just a. You know, a line worker. I'm just a second shifter. You know, I'm, I'm just a wife. I'm just a, a husband. There's nothing significant that I can do to engage the world. I'm just a this. I'm just a that. Well, I'm so grateful that, that Dave Ramsey didn't have a just a problem. If you if you know who Dave Ramsey is, he created Financial Peace University. Uh, before he did that, he got. Uh, early on in life, super rich. He lived in Tennessee, got super rich. All right, the bank called all his notes, and he got super broke, lost everything. Right, in debt up to his eyeballs, and then, then he started to work his way out uh, of being crazy broke. And he discovered that you don't have to live paycheck to paycheck. You don't have to live, you know, with this credit card debt. That you can be debt free. So in 1994, he started FPU Financial Peace University in his house with four couples and a card table, all right? They sat around a card table. They had an overhead projector, and he taught them how to be financially free. Fast forward to today, and over four and a half million people have gone through Financial Peace University because he looked at the world and said, you know what, there's something wrong. And he felt so compelled that he had to take action and if you do the math this is the impact that he's had in people's lives a 360 billion dollar impact people finding freedom from finances because of this guy because he had a burden um this lady right here christine kane some of you know who she is uh started the acts 21 campaign christine this is for those of you in the room that would say you know i'm just a this or that um you don't know my past I could never do anything. I could never engage the world. You don't know where I've been. You don't know where I've come from. Christine Kane grew up in an orphanage, didn't know who her parents were. In fact, she wasn't even given a name in the orphanage. She was given a number, right? The government gave her a number. She grew up in the orphanage, met Jesus. Jesus changed her heart. She got married, and and one day she was in the airport in Greece, and she comes across all these pictures of these girls in the airport, and she's like, what are are those? And she finds out that they were girls who had been abducted and most likely sold into the sex slave trade, and it wrecked her. In that moment, she was wrecked, and she's like, I don't know what I could do. I'm just a mom. You know, I'm not even a, a person on staff at a church, I'm just to this, just to that. And she just decided that, that, you know what, somebody has to do something about that. And that somebody's going to be me. And she created A21, the, one of the leading organizations on sex slave trade, she's rescued thousands and thousands of girls from that. One more, this guy, Gary Haugen, this is for those of you in the room that are saying like, well, you know what, I'm already, I'm, I'm good, Colby. You know, I got my career, you know, I'm career driven, you're in your 30s, 40s, 50s, you kind of have this path that you're in mind, so did Gary. Gary was a human rights attorney and the government sent him in 1994 to Rwanda, Africa, to investigate all this, this mass murder that was happening, millions and millions, you know, of people that were being killed in Rwanda. So he goes to investigate it and he's standing there among all these dead bodies and he just was wrecked, and he said, God, where were you? Why did this happen? You know, all the questions that many of us would have. And he said, In that moment, God spoke to him, and he said, I was right here among the suffering of my people. The better question, Gary, is where were you? Where were my people in all this? Where were God's people? And at that moment, he was wrecked, and he started the international justice mission. So there are those of you in this room that say, I'm just to this, I'm just to that. I can't have you know, a, a significant impact. Colby, I'm not a, a world changer. I have a really sucky job. No, you don't. You don't know anything about me. I know you're not this guy right here. <laughs> that's not your job, right? Anybody in here a crocodile dentist? No, now that's a terrible job, right? I know you're not this guy. I know you don't climb up these you know, crazy poles. Maybe some of you do. I don't know, but that's pretty awesome right there. Or, or you're not one of these ladies that you sniff armpits for a living. That's a terrible job. But see, we can talk about all different kinds of jobs. You can be like, that doesn't make an impact. The job I want to talk about is the job of Nehemiah. Nehemiah was cupbearer to the king. All right, cupbearer to the king. We're going to talk about what that means because they really wanted to make a point. God wanted to make a point so you and I would know that he's just a cupbearer to the king. Watch this in verse 11. We'll pick it up. Verses 6 through 10 is just this heartfelt prayer of Nehemiah. In verse 11, he says, oh, Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me put it in his heart to be kind to me. In those days, I was the king's cupbearer. All right, now that's important, that's huge. Uh, In this period of time, they didn't have elections, all right? They They had kings, they had these rulers. And if you got tired of a ruler, you would try to off the ruler, right? You'd try to kill him, you'd you'd try to shank him in the hallway, and then all of a sudden you'd announce I'm the new king, and that's really how it worked, right? There were no elections. And so Nehemiah's job, because the king had to take extra precautions. The king, it was kind of like a, you know, he had to be really careful, so this cupbearer, his job was to taste the wine, to make sure it wasn't poison, and if the cupbearer drank the wine and he lived, right, then the king would drink it. Like nobody's signing up for that job. But they wanna make it clear to us that that was his job, this is huge. And this is why it's huge, because some of you in this room, you're saying, I'm just a, I'm just a this, I'm just a that, Nehemiah was just a cup bearer, and he wants us to know that. In chapter one, or sorry, in chapter two, verse one, let's keep reading, it says, in the month of Nisan, uh, you're like, when's the month of Nisan? It's right, it's right in between the month of Toyota and the month of, <laughs> it was a lot funnier in my mind than it was out loud. Um, and the month of Nisan would have been like April or May. All right. So get this, Kislev, uh, November, December, to Nisan, April and May, this was five months, almost five month period, all right? I want you to remember that. This is not like a, a microwave moment. This is not like a knee jerk decision, an emotional response to something. This had time to simmer. So this was four to five months later during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes reign. I was serving his wine again. And I'd never appeared sad in his presence, all right? So this this period of time, you know, he's thinking about this wall. He's thinking about, you know, Jerusalem. God put this burden on his, his heart. The king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. And notice this. He said, then I was terrified. The second word I want you to write down is trepidation. Fear and trepidation. Fear had gripped him. How do you know when you're doing what God's called you to do? You will be terrified. You will be scared to death. Here's here's what I know. If you look at the thing that God's calling you to do and you say, hmm, I could pull that off, more than likely, God's not in it. If you look at that thing that God's called you to do and you say, I can do that without any supernatural help, God's probably not involved like that thing that God wants you to do to engage the world, it is going to terrify you. It's going to scare you because sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's dangerous. Where I was thinking about this and thinking about a guy who said, "What if the Apostle Paul had um, had done an infomercial for like following Jesus?" He would have said, "Hey, my name's Paul, and you know I used to have a good job and people used to like me." And then I met Jesus, and then I went on unemployment, and people tried to kill me, right? That would have been the infomercial. People are like, I don't want to do that at all. Sometimes it gets scary. Sometimes, you know, there's this fear associated with it. When he compels you to take action, you're going to be terrified. And if you're not, then maybe your vision's too small. The size of your vision should reflect the size of your God. So what is it that you're chasing after? Because for some of you, this is how it's going to play out. For some of you, if, if, if God's calling you uh, and you're going to be so terrified, it might mean relocating your family. It might mean going to another part of the world or another part of the country and reaching those people for God. And you're like, Colby, that's ridiculous. That's crazy. But you would do it for work. You would relocate for your job. Why is it crazy to, to do something like that for God when, when what you do will actually matter in a 100 years from now, a 1,000 years from now, will have an impact, you know, in eternity for the kingdom, but you would do it for your work because corporate world will employ you for 35 years plus, you know, you can make great stuff, you can sit on a line, you can Do make some good deals. You you can make some sales, and then at the end of that, that you retire and you get a watch, right? And then they forget about you the very next day. I want you to do something that matters in a hundred years. That after you do it, you know they're still being celebrated down the halls of heaven because of what you did, because the impact that you made, because you're willing to say, "Yes, I'm afraid." But somebody's got to do something about it, and it's going to be me. He says, I was terrified. I was terrified. But I replied, long live the king, which is, which is a great way to respond to the king, by the way. Like, like, this is a spiritual principle. It's okay to butter people up. Long live the king. You're the best. Way to go. Long live the king. How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. In other words, this thing has been sitting with him for five months. He could articulate what was going on. So during this five-month period, he, was, he, he didn't quit. He didn't leave his job. He didn't take off and say, this is what God's called me to do. No, he was doing his job, and he was making his plan. He was doing his job, and he was making his plan. He was doing his job, and he was making his plan. It wasn't an emotional decision. you got to ask the question, God, why did you put me here? What is my burden? What is it that's going to compel me to action? Verse 4, the king asks, Well, how can I help you? So at that point, when the king asked how how can I help you, he was ready to go, right? Four to five months of stewing on this thing, he was ready to go. And so he sends up this quick prayer, I love this, with a prayer to God of heaven. This is one of those flare prayer types of moments. I replied, if it pleases the king, and if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. Nehemiah said, I'm compelled to do this. I'm completely terrified, but I've got a plan, and I'm going to rebuild the city. Now, here's often the pushback. When you share with people what God's put on your heart, you know, what what you think he's called you to do, like for for Nehemiah, it would have been, well, well, Nehemiah, you know, don't you think you need to go to college and get a degree in architecture before you can go rebuild the city? No, I'm just going to build it. But Nehemiah, have you ever actually built anything in your life? Nope, I've been serving you wine since I was about eight years old. Never, never built a thing in my life. Well, Nehemiah, don't you think that's irresponsible? You know, don't you think that's a bad idea, you know, for you to just kind of want to go and do that? Don't you like being in the comfort of the palace? Don't you like, you know, working here, you know, being with the king, hanging with the king? You really want to travel, you know, almost a thousand miles away to an impoverished group of people you know, and actually work and sacrifice. And Nehemiah's like, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. Which, by the way, that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus left the comfort of the palace. And he came to an impoverished group of people. And he did the work for us so you and I wouldn't have to work our way to get to him. Did you know Jesus is all throughout the entire scriptures? And the Old Testament points everything to Jesus. And Nehemiah says, you know what, I'm going to go do this. That's what I'm called To do it was completely irresponsible according to the world's economy. But people who engage their world arrive at the conclusion: uh, I may be terrified if I try, but I'm going to be more terrified if I don't try. And I'm going to—I'm compelled to do this, and my my compulsion is going to push me through me being terrified and afraid. Well, Colby, that sounds that sounds extremely positive and motivational. Is that Tony Robbins speaking? No, that's God. God tells us that we can do all things, all things through Christ who gives us strength. Here's what I believe. If God's called you to do something, he's equipped you to do it too. That if he's led you to it, he's going to lead you through it. Amen? So just grab a hold of that. How does he want you to engage your world? Now, the reality is sometimes you can't do it alone, all right? Like this little guy right here. Now some of you look at your problem, like he's motivated, right? He, he's got the drive, you know. he's ready to go, but there is no way he's ever going to be able to lift that. And some of you see what God's called you to do and you're thinking, man, this is way too much to carry. This is way too much you know, for me to do on my own. There's no way that I can do this. How can I pull this off? Well, when Nehemiah stepped away from the palace, he stepped away without any guarantees that it was gonna work out. He stepped away without, you know, without other people there knowing that he was coming or why he was going to be there. When he shows up in Jerusalem, he doesn't go into the the center of the city, lay out some blueprints and say, hey, we're building a wall. He doesn't do that. He doesn't go into the town, you know, and start a Bible study on how to to build walls. He doesn't do that. He doesn't start a prayer group, a committee on how to build walls. Bible study and prayer are paramount, but at some point, you got to roll up your sleeves and you just got to start. Building and start working and that's what he does. He goes to the city. He inspects, you know, the wall and he understands that that we watch this is greater than me. In verse 17 of chapter two, he says, but now I said to them, once he arrives there, and now I said to them, you know very well what trouble we are in, right? He takes ownership of it, not what trouble you guys are in, but what trouble we are in. In he said, in other words, I'm in this Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. Again, this wasn't new news, they weren't surprised, you know, by the wall being torn down, it had been torn down for over a hundred years. But sooner or later, you just got to get to work. In verse 18, then I told them about how the gracious hand of God had been on me and about my conversation with the king. They replied at once, let's do it. Let's go for it. Let's rebuild the wall. So they began the good work. And we find out later that what was destroyed for over 142 years was rebuilt in 52 days. Like what should have taken them years to rebuild, they'd do it in 52 days because one guy was so compelled That he pushed through, you know, his fear and trepidation, and then he decided to to engage the world and do what God had called him to do. Now, when that happens, here's the next word I want you to write down. You got to know that you're going to face opposition. You will face opposition. Mark it on your calendar. The moment you decide to do something great for God, opposition is coming. Opposition is coming. In fact, there's some people that you know, that that I know, that have overcome some great opposition in their life. Um, One of them is this guy right here. This is Jay-Z. What up, dog? (laughs) Jay-Z? Regardless of what you think about Jay-Z, Jay-Z overcame some great opposition to get to where he is. In fact, nobody wanted to cut a deal with Jay-Z early on, and he sold CDs out of the trunk of his car, you know, in order to get started. Today, He's worth about $550 million. You're like, all that money doesn't make you happy. You say that because you don't have it, right? You don't even know. (laughs) I could probably be happy. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, being honest with you guys, right? He overcame some some obstacles and opposition. Uh, This next guy right here, Walt Disney, Walt Disney overcame opposition. Do you know that Walt Disney was fired from a newspaper job because, I quote, the boss said he lacked creativity and imagination. Walt Disney, how would you like to be that bonehead boss, right, well I fired Walt Disney, huh, oh, you know, that's awesome, way to go. But aren't you so glad that he didn't give up? Aren't you so glad that once he faced opposition he didn't give up? What about this guy, one more, that's Dr. Seuss. Everybody loves Dr. Seuss, right? Hop on Pop, my son Parker, six years old, he can recite Hop on Pop by memory the whole thing all the way through. He's ridiculous. But everybody loves Dr. Seuss. Dr. Seuss faced incredible opposition. The first 27 um, editors, publishers that he took his books to, they, they denied him. They said, nope, nope, nope. 27 times he was told No. And I know, here's what I know, we look at people like Dr. Seuss, we look at people like Walt Disney, you know, and we say, man, we're so, I'm so grateful that they didn't give up. I'm so grateful that that they, they didn't stop. We admire that about those guys. I don't want us to be a church that admires the great accomplishments of other people. I want us to be a church that experiences those same great accomplishments as well. Like, what is it that God wants to do in you? And you're standing around admiring what other people are doing instead of doing what he's called you to do. Look at chapter 2, verse 10. You would think everyone would would be on board with this, you know, rebuilding of the wall, Um, but he faced incredible opposition. Verse 10 says this, but when Sambalat, the Horonite, I don't even know what a Horonite is, all right? So I'm just going to leave that one uh, there. And Tobiah, the Ammonite official, heard of my arrival. Watch this. They were very displeased that someone had come to help. You want to bother the world? You try to do something good. You try to help. You try to make a difference, and you'll face opposition. It is a spiritual principle. The moment that you step out, you want to do something great, you have to be willing to walk through opposition. Opposition. We see it again in verse 19, when Sambalat, Tobiah, and now a third guy, Geshem, the Arab, all right? We don't even know where this guy comes from, but as your, as your impact increases, so does your opposition. As you, you know, increase the impact for the kingdom, you know, the opposition just grows and grows and grows. So now there's this other guy involved, Geshem, heard of our plan. They scoffed contemptuously. What are you doing? Are you rebelling against the king, they asked? I replied, the God of heaven will help us succeed. We, his servants, will start rebuilding this wall, but you have no share, legal right, or historic claim to Jerusalem. Pow, drops the mic, right? He's just telling them, you guys, you don't even have anything to do with this. You don't even need to be here right now. You have no legal claim to this. And if you keep reading through this, the next chapter just list. Um, all these different names and families in Nehemiah chapter three of you know such and such you know so and so rebuilt this part of the gate or, or or put this gate back up or or rebuilt this section of the wall and it's just all these names and all these people you know who got involved and then in chapter four these guys come back Sambalat Tobiah and Geshem they're like all right things are actually progressing so we got to do something about this because if we don't do something about this this is going to impact our economy. These guys were running some shady deals. And as long as the, the, the city walls and the gates were down, you know, they could come in and go out and do whatever they wanted to do. You know, it impacts their way of life. So they start raising an army. They start raising a ruckus. And Nehemiah heard about it. And keep in mind, he didn't have an army of his own, right? He just came to, to build. All he had was this calling on his life. And here's what he said in chapter 4, verse 14. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, The officials and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Watch this, underline it, highlight it. This is your next word. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. I want you to write down the word recollection. Recollection. Compulsion, trepidation, opposition. Now, recollection. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And he says, fight for your families, your sons, your daughters, and your wives, and your homes. Remember. Who's on our side remember God who is great Um, in the NIV it says great and awesome I think this one says great and glorious when you begin to do it what God's called you to do you're gonna step into a situation that seems overwhelming and I'm praying that when that happens you just remember God's past faithfulness in your life you just remember who's called you you remember how great and awesome God is and you stick to what God has called you to do in verse 15 when our enemies heard that we knew of their plans and that God had frustrated them we all returned to our work on the wall they got back to work didn't even have to fight them they got back to it the last word I want you to write down is this is the word devotion compulsion trepidation opposition recollection now devotion Chapter 6, and this, this really is kind of the, the crux of it. This really is um, what I feel like if we don't ever meet again as a church, like if we shut the doors, and, and uh, that would be fine with me if I knew every single person in this room was engaged in doing exactly what God has called you to do. I don't care about coming and meeting here. I care about the impact that you are making and that you wouldn't ever stop, that you would never come down from that. Watch this. When word came again to Sambalat, by this way, um, by the way, this guy never leaves, right? The opposition never leaves, never goes away. He's there throughout the entire, you know, book of Nehemiah, all the way up to chapter 13. When word came to Sambalat, to Buy and Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall And not a single gap was left in it. Though up to the time I had not set the doors in the gate, Sambalat, Geshem sent me this message. Hey, come let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. Kind of like, Ono, it's a trap. That's that's what's going on right here, all right? Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. They wanted to distract him they wanted him to take him away from the work that he was was doing they they started talking rumors about him spreading some things to the other enemies they were tweeting about him tweeting about his mama doing whatever they could they said hey why don't you take a break why don't you take a break from what you're doing why don't you come meet with us you know and nehemiah knew uh, exactly what they were doing and he was willing to pay any price and verse 3 says so i sent messengers to them with this reply I am engaged in a great work and I cannot come down, why should I stop? I am engaged in a great work and I can't come down, why should I stop? See, we've been in this series, one, because I really do want you to encounter God, but that's that's like the starting line, that's step one in the process. For you to encounter God, and then you're to experience some freedom in your life, to embrace purpose, discover why you were made. But ultimately, here it is right here, so that you would engage in a great work. In the work that God has for your life. And again, some of you are like, yeah, but I'm 30s, 40s, 50s, you know, I'm, I'm on this path. I'm, I'm praying that God just just wrecks you and that you understand that he wants to do something in and through your life, and that the most important thing is that that you would have the impact, that you would do exactly what God's created you to do, that at the end of your life you'd hear those words, well done, because you stood on the wall, you were engaged in a great work, and you didn't come down. Why should I stop? Can't stop, won't stop. Which by the way, the imagery in this is is unbelievable. Because I gotta believe that 2,500 years later, Jesus, um, Jesus was, was getting ready to go to the cross. And I gotta believe that the enemy was like, hey, hey, you know, you don't have to do that. Why don't you come down? Trying to distract him, trying to pull him away from his great work, what he was called to do. Right? Saying, hey, at any moment you could send 10,000 angels. You could, you could go ahead and take care of this thing. You can come down. Why don't you come down? And I got to believe, and, and I can't be positive, but he said, you know what? I'm engaged in a great work. I'm not coming down. And he did that for me, and he did that for you. And he died on the cross to give you life so that you could live for something. So that you too could be engaged in a great work. So what is it for you? What is it for you? Because again, I, this is one of those big messages. It's kind of overwhelming. Man, big ideas, big purpose, all that. If I was to give you a bonus word, it would be this word right here. It'd be the last word would be completion. For those of you that feel overwhelmed, that feel terrified, that feel like whatever God is calling you to do, there's no way that you could do it. Here's what I want to encourage you with. Philippians 1.6 says, being confident of this, that he who began this good work this great work that you're engaged in will carry it on to completion at the end of the day what god wants from you you're not carrying this on your shoulders on your own he wants obedience from you he just wants you to do it he just wants you to to follow the steps to take the next step that he's called you to do and be obedient with it and engage in the great work he's called you to do this is what i want us to do would you bow your head and i really don't want you to rush off i really want you to take a moment and allow god to speak to your heart because here's what i thought was fascinating about this while we're praying while we're praying nehemiah didn't necessarily start something new he rebuilt something that was broken God might not be calling you today to start something new. He might be calling you to rebuild something that's been broken, to repair some gate, to repair some wall, to repair some section of your life or of a relationship that is falling apart. And you're facing opposition, and people are saying you can't, and people are saying you shouldn't, and they're trying to distract you from repairing what's been broken. today you can stand because God wants to see it through to completion and say that great work that I've started why should you stop why should you come down why should you not finish what I began in your life so press on press on it might not just be this grand new thing might be rebuilding something that's been broken but for those of you in this room too maybe God has had something in your life in your heart that he planted there a long time ago. And you've never given birth to it because you've been afraid, because there's been opposition, because you don't think you can do it. Here's the good news. On your own, you can't do it. You were never meant to do it. But with God, all things are possible. Jesus, I pray for those in this room today. Man, that you're stirring something in their heart, in their life, that you have something planned for them to engage their world, to make a difference in their cities, in their communities. God, for some people in this room, it might mean going halfway across the world. It might mean going next door to their neighbor's house. Whatever it is you've called us to do, God, I pray that you would give them courage and strength to press through that fear, that this compulsion that you have in our heart is so great and so Significant that we have to take action, we have to respond to you, God, to what you're calling us to do. Now for those of you in this room, while we're still praying, there's this compulsion that's so great in your life. You know what that is? That's Jesus drawing you to him, that you've never given your life to him to, to experience this life of purpose and of promise that all He has in store for you. And today, that compulsion that you feel, that's the Holy Spirit telling you, "Hey, why don't you finally surrender?" don't you finally surrender there's nothing that you have to work for or do that I did all the work on your behalf that Jesus prayed paid that price for you that he died on the cross for all of your sin past present and future once and for all and the moment you call on his name the Bible says you're saved you're saved you're saved as you trust Jesus for your salvation. Maybe that's the compulsion that you feel today. If so, I wanna lead you in a prayer. It's a commitment prayer. Pray this with me and pray it out loud. You can whisper it to God. He knows your heart. Jesus, today, I commit my life to you. Thank you for drawing me to you. Thank you again for not leaving me to my, my own sin, but for coming and rescuing me, for saving me, for cleansing me. Jesus, I confess you as Lord say that again I confess you as Lord and I believe in my heart that God raised you from the dead so right here right now I'm raised to new life in Christ in Jesus precious and holy name amen amen come on church let's celebrate big with those that made that decision today praise God for you We are always encouraged to know that God is using Elevate to bless people's lives. If you have a story about how God is working in your life, share your story online at elevateeerie.tv.